Thanks so much for joining us and for tuning in to the Steeple Church podcast. Our hope as you listen in is that you might encounter Jesus, hear and receive his love, and be encouraged and empowered by his spirit to be and bring life and love to one another and to the other in your world. If you would like to get in touch with us or keep up to date with what's happening in and through the life of Steeple Church, please jump on to our website at steeplechurch.com.au or follow us on the socials via Facebook or Instagram at steeple.church. We're looking forward to meeting you one day soon, but in the meantime, enjoy the message. Bless you, fam. As I was just saying, I really appreciated what you shared today because in a sense it's uh, very much connected to what I'm going to talk about. Um, It's Father's Day, so I want to focus this morning on the Father. And um, in some respects what I'm going to say is is a little bit hard for me to talk about uh, because it comes out of a quote from Dallas Willard who suggests that for many of us may believe in Jesus, but he's just not sure that we believe in God. It's an interesting statement. So let me tell you a little a bit about myself. Um, I'm married to Ellen, and, and as uh, was shared today, Ellen's, Ellen's mum's just had um, a stroke. She's also stage four cancer and also... Um, is wheelchair-bound because of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, Lovely Hannah gave me a hug when we had the clip before, which was great um, because that's what dads do. She offered to make me breakfast this morning, um, which was lovely, but I want to run so bacon and eggs would not be good before. Anyway, I work in education. I work in Christian education uh, I've worked in a number of Christian schools, I've worked for a national group of Christian schools and I've also lectured in the Christian tertiary sector, uh, lectured in things like worldview uh, and educational leadership. So when I look at the time there, I'm thinking 50 minute lecture, 10 minute break, 50 minute lecture. <laughs> and they just have to sit there. I just don't know how kids do it in that space. I'm keenly interested in discipleship. And one of the things that I love about this church is the connection to hospitality and generosity. I think it's a wonderful expression of the Christian faith. Anyway. In my job, one of the things that I frequently do is interview people for positions work in Christian schools, I'm interviewing Christian people about working in a Christian institution. There's a question that I like to ask that people who work with me know that I like to ask, and it's, it's a very simple one on one level. It's how is your faith outworked across your life? How does your faith intersect with what you're about to do? you know, concretely. What does it look like to be a Christian working in a Christian school? Now, before I, I tell you the very much repeated answers that I get, I want to talk a little bit about this culture that we're in. One of my favourite books is a book uh, by a guy called Paul Gould. It's called Cultural Apologetics. 
don't necessarily love apologetics, but I love this book. And he talks about this world that we're in now, this time, this culture, what we're immersed in every day, the air that we breathe, you know, the phones that we rely on, the messages we see. And he uses three words. Those three words are disenchanted, sensate and hedonistic. We live in a disenchanted world in the sense that the view of the world from the Bible is one of sacred and beautiful. Yet our culture is under a spell of materialism. We assume concepts like beauty, goodness and holiness, but they are dissociated from the wonder of receiving them as a gift of our Creator. Belief in God, faith and religion are often an embarrassment. Yet in our society, there's a universal longing for transcendence, that is something other, a nostalgia for an enchanted cosmos, something beyond the ordinary and something beyond the mundane. We see this everywhere, particularly in the arts and in the films, such as the Marvel films. We are sensate. We are fixated on the physical, the sensory, the material. Our whole education system trains us to fix our minds on this material world. We are fixated in the here and the now with little thought of the there and the then. The collective mind of our culture is largely anti-intellectual, shallow. We lack the categories to think deeply about the things that matter most. Most of what we do is guided by feeling and desire rather than reason and thought. We are hedonistic. We move from one desire to the next, filling our lives with bite-sized pleasures that give an immediate sensual payoff. The bargains that we buy, we love. We are captivated, if we like to borrow from C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by the Turkish delight. He also makes a very interesting comment. The Christian virtues of faith, hope and love have been replaced by modern virtues of tolerance. That's not what I would say is Christian tolerance. It's allowing people to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't impact on you. Personal autonomy and progressivism and that is a discarding of the oppressive, ethical and religious view of the past. So I have people who I know who say, you know, you have old-fashioned values like sex within marriage, old-fashioned values. So what does that mean for us, for those of us who believe in Jesus? He's our personal saviour. And I'm sure you would agree as with the psalmist who says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Psalm 24. But the felt absence of God is the defining feature of this day. In a disenchanted age, belief in God is unwelcome. It's unwelcome in the boardroom, unwelcome in the bedroom, in the courtroom, in the classroom and actually unwelcome in many of our churches. I would suggest it's naive to believe that this cultural immersion, what surrounds us every moment of our life when we walk outside of this church, 
is not impacting on us, our beliefs, the way we read scripture and the lives that we live. So what does that mean for this question that I ask, the Christian question? How does your faith impact what's going to happen in the life of this school? Standard response. In fact, I was so confident in the standard response, arrogantly I said to my two colleagues, this is the response we'll get in this question. Before and after the person had said exactly what I said, they would say, I said, is there anything else? And that poor applicant sat there for about 30 seconds and then said, no. Well, within a Christian setting, of course, you can preach the gospel, number one. I get the opportunity in a Christian workplace to share my faith. And the second, hopefully you'll know what that is. I see my faith working out through the relationships that I have with the students. As though within a Christian school, you know, it's going to be more Christianly and that is exhibited through those relationships. I would suggest that that's biblical and has the right answers within it. But is it biblical enough? I'd like to think there's much more that we should consider as we engage outside of the church into our lives, whether that be within a Christian setting or a non-Christian setting. But one of the barriers that we need to overcome, certainly in my life and probably in yours as well, is that when we are trained to do the particular things that we do in the workplace, we've been taught in these spheres and these environments where God is absent. And we learn to rely on our CV, on our competencies. And we go into those job interviews believing that we ourselves can fulfil the job with the knowledge and the skills and our experience over time. Dallas Willard goes on to say in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, we live by our competencies. Our souls are are soaked with secularity. In any context in which people are supposed to be smart and informed, even the most thoughtful and devout Christian will find it hard to make a convincing presentation of the relevance of God and his spiritual world to real life. Our souls are soaked with secularity. In a sense, we live two lives. We have this deep personal faith, but often when we go outside in the Monday to the Friday into our work life, we're invited to live a practical atheism reliant on ourselves. And this is why I believe that Willard says, I personally have become convinced that many people who believe in Jesus do not actually believe in God. Church may not help. One of my hunches is that it's a lack of biblical literacy that's guiding what's going on here. Take, for example, as I will explore with you, this idea of the kingdom of God. 
For time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news is the start of Mark. It's a very familiar passage to us. But I find our understanding of things like the kingdom of God reflects, let me go on a bit of a limb, an understanding that we have about the biblical story. We like to read that chapter, the high point, the great bit about Jesus. But have we begun at the beginning and read the whole story and see how that bit ties in? You wouldn't go watch the end of a film without watching the beginning. But we tend to do that. We focus a little bit too much on the high point. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, how is that seen by us? Well, firstly, we say things like, the kingdom of God is not of this world, because that's what Jesus said. And in a sense, it's not of this world because it's not a military kingdom, and we know that. But I do wonder as to whether we over-spiritualise such things and say, well, that's something that Jesus talked about, and it's something that he's going to inaugurate. But then I'm left with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The spiritual kingdom that is somewhere up there, perhaps it's not. Coming, how does that happen? Nicholas Perrin in a book on the kingdom of God says, too often when people hear the phrase the kingdom of God, their thinking goes back to Jesus. And of course then stops. But from the very first words of scripture, the kingdom is already there. It is a king establishing a kingdom through creation. He sets up his image bearers in the place. I would suggest to you that the theme of the kingdom weaves its way through the biblical story, through the length of history that we see from Genesis to Revelation and the width of human reality, whether that be politics, social issues, culture, technology, everything. From the beginning, God sets up us as his image bearers. We see that through Adam and Eve, who have got these sort of priestly roles in a garden to care for it, to cultivate and to cultivate beyond. And then we see it through all of the biblical covenants. The new Adams, Noah becomes the new Adam. And then through Adam we're told that Adam will be blessed to be a blessing. And this tree talked about before we have Moses who goes from slavery to establish a counter-cultural community that is not like an empire, that is an empire built on justice and mercy and love and enough and God's abundance. A peculiar people, it says in Deuteronomy 14, different from all nations, a priestly kingdom, a priestly group to be a blessing to others, to love God, to be exercised through loving their neighbour. 
These peculiar people are called to be different and frequently reminded of where they've come from, to care for the poor, to care for the widow, to care for the alien, because that is about holiness. And often they're not, and they struggle, and they're reminded again. And then when they're expelled from the land of Israel, we get those beautiful words, start of Isaiah, Micah 6. And Micah 6 from verse 7 says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I know my firstborn? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And then we know the next bit. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As Christians, I believe we need to find what it means for us to act with justice and love and mercy and to walk humbly, to understand what abundance is, whether that be in our home life, our work life, across all of life. In other words, our job is to cultivate and foster a kingdom life that is consistent with the biblical story. So when I go back to my context in schools and I hear about those words that the Christian faith will interact only through relationships and preaching, I think about such things as this. Schools are very complex. Teachers have to have standards and those standards include knowing your students, knowing their context and knowing how to teach. All of those are value-driven concepts. When we see the classroom as part of a broader social community, there are underlying values in there, in the textbooks, in the approaches to pedagogy that we take. We have parents who have expectations of what they expect at school based on their own life and often in the context I'm in, it's about earning money. First of all. And schools, you can tell what they value through what they advertise. At the end of the year, what do they put up? Some mark on a sign. What does that say to a child? about their life for those who can't do such things, that they're not the 98.6 or whatever is up there. The things that we advertise and the things that we celebrate, the sort of cultural activities that we engage with in the life of the school tells you who the people are called to be. All these things are culturally bound. All need to be considered for us or challenged as part of the kingdom. When I turn to the New Testament, of course I can go to the teaching of Jesus, but there's this passage that I've recently been thinking about that reminds me that I need to be a different sort of person. What strike you as a little bit bizarre. In Acts 17 verse 6, it says this in the NIV. It suggests that the early Christians caused trouble. In the New King James Version, it says this. 
Well, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of a city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These pesky Christians. I want to be a pesky Christian. They're troublemakers. They're disruptors. They challenge the status quo. Makes me wonder what it would look like if Jesus followed me around for a week and I just fit in with everyone else. Is my life contributing to the kingdom in the way that it should? I'm also challenged by the plainness of Jesus' teaching and I could literally go anywhere. I've chosen to go to Luke 11. Drives out a demon, challenged by the crowd and he says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. The kingdom or another way? And we're so culturally bound. And then a woman calls out to him, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. And we know Jesus. You know, in a culture where you have to be, you're a part of a family, you're a part of a kin, you're a part of a community. He says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Challenge the social order. The message for me is pretty simple. The people of God will be known by what they do. Who you are is what you do. This kingdom work is a work for all of us. As members of his kingdom, we must think God's thoughts after him with the goal of conforming not just our thoughts but our words, our deeds, our assumptions, our desires and longings, our priorities to our sovereign God. This requires us to be discerning, to consider the practices that we engage in as the cultural norms that we go through every day. For me, the biblical story is very much about God's kingdom. But I know for those outside the church, that the Christian life, particularly at the moment, does not seem plausible or desirable. It's archaic. It's offensive. It's not progressive. But I do wonder if one of the reasons it's not plausible for some people is apart from some beliefs that are inconsistent with this so-called progressiveness that we see in our culture today, I wonder if it's because we're just not different enough in that real positive biblical sense. That's what I see in scripture. So as I close, I would encourage you as I encourage myself. We we certainly confess belief in a sovereign God who invites us to be his signposts to the kingdom of God. I'm hoping that in my life I can cultivate justice, mercy, care for the other. And so my encouragement for myself and for you is to not only look to foster a way of living that Tree talked about, that's enough, that's about abundance. 
that is consistent with a biblical story, that is countercultural, that is not about the now, it's about the other. But not just in our own life, but I think we need to share our ideas about what this looks like with our brothers and sisters. So we can embody the Christian life across all that we do and not be sucked into a world in which God is absent. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I love your word. I'm also aware that I'm a sinful person who struggles. I'm culturally bound in a Western society where you are absent from many aspects. You're absent from the shopping centre, often absent from the workplace. You're absent from the screens that I watch. Yet I know through your scriptures I'm invited and we as the people of God are invited to be part of a bigger story. That's not just about belief in you. That's about being a peculiar, a different people who love mercy, who act justly, who look to honour you. Father, may you encourage me through the messages that we hear from others, through your Holy Spirit, through other Christians, through our brothers and sisters, to find ways to be living in the ways that are more in alignment with your will. May that be the case today, tomorrow, this week. And may we, we continue to be built up by each other. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to the Steeple Church podcast. We hope you were encouraged as you listened in. As I said at the top of the podcast, we loved having and hosting you in this way, but we'd love to hear from you and pray for you. So please drop us a line via our website or better yet, if you're local to Melbourne, drop in on one of our Sunday gatherings, 10 a.m. every Sunday in the hall of St. Barnabas Anglican Church at 86 Bourne Road, Bourne. Peace and love, friends. Have a great week.